Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. Well, you know, we talk a lot about some of the political turmoil in Washington from the uh, Russia intrigue to everything else. But really, the most important thing uh, that many in the market are watching is the health care bill that the GOP has been working on. And Senate Republican leaders did present a revised health care plan today to try to gin up enough support to get it passed in the near term. To take a look at how it differs from previous incarnations of this legislation, I want to bring in Max Neeson. Uh, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist, fabulous columnist. Read his columns, Bloomberg.com slash Gadfly or on the terminal. Uh, He joins us now. So, Max, how is this new bill different from the old ones? And what does this tell us about the direction that it's going in? So we, we don't yet have a full bill. We're kind of working off a, a leaked outline um, that, that seems to have come from lobbyists. So we'll have to kind of dig into the bill text to get uh, really all the details. But what it looks like so far are, are a few major changes. Keeps uh, some ACA taxes on the wealthy in order to spend more on helping states cover people's out-of-pocket costs, um, helps with the tax treatment of health savings accounts, Uh, spending on the opioid crisis, lowering premiums, Um, actually some programs that Republicans have criticized that were part of the Affordable Care Act in the first place, Um, and uh, also in covering some high-risk individuals. Um, But it keeps Medicaid cuts just about the same, which which might be an area of trouble. And the thing we really still don't know is to what degree uh, Ted Cruz's idea for uh, basically letting people buy less generous health coverage than the ACA would have allowed. Um, we, we don't know how much of that's going to be included yet. But does this give us any in- indication of which direction it's moving in and sort of uh, which factions are gaining uh, the most clout in these negotiations? So the the kind of interesting thing here is that it's it's this sort of bizarre compromise where everyone gets a little and we're, we're not exactly sure how much everyone gets. Um, so I think that's what might give it a little bit of difficulty, even though they're kind of shifting things around to kind of meet that 50 vote margin. I mean, it's not a good sign that, you know, they they didn't do anything to ameliorate the Medicaid cuts when that's a huge issue for a lot of the potential moderate no votes. Uh, conservatives might be angry that this basically throws a lot of money at, at some of the issues in it, which is just a general kind of ideological point that they don't agree with and they might not get that kind of Cruzley amendment in the version that they wanted. And the fact that Lindsey Graham and, and Bill Cassidy went on TV uh, a few minutes before the Republicans were set to have a meeting about this bill and pitch their own alternative to this bill. So um, it, it's kind of Bad still time. everything's still up in the air. Yeah. Um, I- I just guess I'm trying to just absorb the concept that we're basically watching the horse trading in real time. Is that is that kind of where I mean, that just seems so uh, otherworldly, but I guess that's the way it goes, right? It's absolutely accurate. And um, it's kind of been the case the entire lifespan of this bill, uh, both in the House and the Senate. And, and it's just uh, seems to be particularly active horse trading right now. Where um, not only do you know senators don't know what's going to be in the bill that's going to be possibly released later this day, and they're doing it to themselves, right? Because it's it was about ten GOP senators 
that were holding up the works and then they you know they were horse trading uh, for example i remember susan collins i believe a main uh republican from maine uh wanted more money for the opioid uh, crisis in maine yeah so it was, it was a lot of different senators that wanted that particular bit but yeah it's when you have a, a small uh, group of people writing something a process that's not that transparent um you know you you kind of see the the reason that they did that is they're trying to move quickly to kind of move forward their legislative agenda. But it sort of backfired because when you don't have an open process, you have people that get surprised and then, you know, they come out with demands and then you have to make these last minute little shifts. And uh, with something as complicated as, as healthcare legislation, uh, you, you obviously run into some issues. You know, I was looking at some polls recently about the uh, general favorability ratings of the ACA and how it's actually gone up pretty substantially over the past few months. Um, and I'm wondering whether that will complicate things, the fact that there is greater favorability feeling toward uh, the current system than there has been in the past. Will this complicate things if uh, senators do go on recess and do go back to their districts and end up having conversations with people who suddenly uh, have have a better feeling about this? And by the way, we're getting a redhead right now. We're getting a, a headline that the Senate Republicans have released the updated draft of the health care bill. So I am sure that, Max, you will go back to your seat and uh, scrutinize every passage. But, but you know what I'm saying, though, right? I your mean, day was yeah. just made. <laughs> it definitely you, was. You, and your evening, I would imagine. <laughs> day and evening. Yeah. But um, it, it's already complicating things. I mean, people are looking ahead to 2018 to 2020 and, and over kind of the lifespan of the bill. It's moved kind of ever closer to the ACA. It's not, you know, this is much closer to the ACA than what the House bill was, uh, particularly when you look at how the like subsidies and tax credits are structured. So the, the other the other thing that people are really watching is whether there is any cohesion among the Republican senators uh, and whether there has been any kind of melding of minds. I mean, you talk about, you know, Senator Graham uh, releasing his own uh, health care bill before going into a meeting to talk about the ongoing negotiations. But I I wonder, you know, just from a market perspective, what people are looking for is what does this mean about fiscal stimulus, about other sort of market friendly activities in a tax bill? Um, are we getting any sense that there is some kind of consensus building among the Republican factions, or is it splintering further? Uh, you know, you know. if anything, it's the opposite. And I think what revealed that the most was the fact that after they pulled the initial version of the Senate bill, they were going to vote on it, they decided not to. Um, just a whole bunch of senators jumped out of the woodwork and said, I'm definitely not going to vote for this, even people that previously had been counted as pretty safe votes. You know, on one hand, you have to discount that a little bit because, you know, the bill was dead in its current form. It's not like they were taking a vote or a major stand, but it also indicates that that pretty clearly there are um, some fractions, some divisions. People aren't willing to just fall in line uh, behind leadership because they said, this is what we need to do. I just want to uh, veer you off course uh, from the health bill, because I know you're going to spend the rest of your day doing that. But uh, just about, about this cancer breakthrough. I mean, it, this is something, can you just explain what we've learned? Yeah, absolutely. And and I have a column coming out later today on this. And uh, it's actually really a, a pretty stunning treatment. Uh, basically, what they do is for a group of patients that, um, you know, really have failed other treatments and would likely die without it, what they're able to do is uh, take out their immune cells, modify them, and inject them back into the body of uh, people with a really serious blood cancer. And in some patients, it can very literally wipe out that cancer. Um, it's really quite amazing. The, the question is uh, whether it's commercially viable. Um, you know, it has to be 
made specifically for each patient, it's likely to cost many hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, it's it's unprecedented in that way as well. So uh, it's going to be really fascinating to follow over the next couple of years. And we're going to want to read your column about this because I know you're going to give us details. Tell us about who did it and the companies and so on. Thank you very much, Max Neeson, uh, Gadfly columnist. I'm Pim Fox, along with Lisa Abramowitz, and uh, a very extensive bit of questioning, Lisa Abramowitz, uh, and I thought very appropriate at the end when uh, Chair Yellen was asked, would she accept an appointment, you know, to be reappointed? And uh, there was that pause just beforehand. And a a couple of very pointed questions. Everyone wanted her to basically weigh in on this. And uh, Carl Riccadonna, who uh, is chief U.S. economist. We're going to let him weigh in on this? Well, you know, he was he (laughs) was making the argument yesterday to us uh, off air that uh, this would be the time for her to actually make a statement about whether or not she I think you owe me a bet. Didn't we sort of Yeah, we we kind of bet that. He's here so he can weigh in on on the surprise I I got to because Carl is hardly ever wrong. Yeah. Carl knows yeah. So the terms of the bet were a cup of coffee, right? Okay, that's, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll meet you downstairs for a cup of coffee. Yeah, perfect. Um, no, I, this, in contrast to the post-meeting statements and press conferences, uh, now would have been a, uh, I think, a good time for her to uh, show her hand. Uh, obviously, uh, Fed continuity is so critical uh, at this point, and there's uh, basically six months left in her term. So I think that uh, you, you mean know, before Gary Cohn takes over? Well, well, before her term expires, we'll say on February third. Uh, and so uh, you know, it's important at some point you can't on February second finally reveal your intent. Tensions, especially with such high stakes uh, uh, right wait, wait, now. Did you say never? You said you can't. Never say it, never. Right. Yeah. Never say I, never. I, I, I just, it, it would be. I'll say it would be a bad idea. Well, okay. uh, to wait from until your, the last possible minute. Right. We thing. need to know what course the Fed's on with the balance sheet, with interest rates. Uh, you know, keeping markets uh, as calm as possible as they try to normalize policy in an economy that's. Uh, performing so-so. So the Fed wants to be transparent. Don't save a big surprise for the last minute. Uh, at some point, and and she didn't have to do it today, but uh, the clock is ticking, and uh, it will soon be appropriate for her to express her atten- intentions. Carl, yesterday the market was interpreting Janet Yellen's statements as being dovish, as being a sort of a, a conducive to an ongoing rally in risk assets, uh, as well as an ongoing rally in government debt. Everything is great. The world is in the Goldilocks scenario. Today, it's different. Today, we're seeing somewhat of a sell-off in bond markets. Is this just people basically taking a step back and saying she really hasn't made any material changes, or is this not related to her testimony at all? I don't think today's move is uh, too heavily related to her testimony. I think the market interpretation yesterday that uh, she was sounding more dovish, uh, incrementally more dovish uh, than she did at the uh, June uh, meeting press conference. Uh, I think that was a correct interpretation. And the Fed uh, is uh, being more ponderous uh, about uh, potential uh, disinflation threats. I uh, earlier today uh, looked back to uh, see what uh, the Fed's report card uh, on uh, the inflation mandate uh, was uh, over uh, Chair Yellen's term. Uh, And if we go back to 2014 and look at either uh, the PCE deflator or the core PCE deflator, uh, basically they have missed the entire time. There was one month 
during Janet Yellen's Fed term as chair, uh, where the P- the headline PCE deflator, which is the objective they're trying to uh, hit 2% with, uh, actually was at uh, 2% or better. The rest of the term they have missed. In fact, if we go back and look from 2009 uh, to present, uh, the Fed has missed uh, the 2% inflation mandate uh, on the core deflator uh, 95% of the time. Do if you we look th- at the you know, headline, it's 80% of the you time. Know, you know, if Carver Cadano were an economic, was an economics professor, and he could certainly be, he would never let anybody slide. Not even a little... He is. Uh, he. You hold their feet to the fire. No easy A's. No, no easy A's, A's in my in, classroom. In your class. You grade high. Yeah, exactly. Can, can I just point out something though? That if you take a look at what's going on in equity markets right now, I know you're worried about your bonds, but you know you had that big sell-off a couple weeks ago. I marked that because that's when you leave. You leave whenever. That's the best indicator. Is when you leave the bond market tanks, and then we've seen this run up. And now we've seen yields kind of back up a little bit because everyone went, oh, okay, maybe maybe we're not going to get this raise, right? Because she's dovish. Take a look at stocks today. Stocks are up very little, but they're up. And that's very important because that's what they, I believe it has to do with what's called an inside day because it has to do with a lot of market technicals that have to do, that demonstrate buying and selling strength and pressure. And to couple with your point about emerging market debt, which Chair Yellen spoke about or said she spoke about. Um, I want to know, Lisa Abramowitz, uh, from you, uh, there were a couple questions there about the financial crisis that brought up the words Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. I mean, come on. Of course there is. Right. You've got the financial committee but talking there was about that, anything. They're going to bring up the crisis. And then they talked about Glass-Steagall. Right. And they asked about the reinstatement or the possible reinstatement of Glass-Steagall. And I'm wondering what you thought because... She, it's almost as if Chair Yellen came back and said yes. It was that there was a long pause before she answered that question. Ah, you know, honestly, I think that it's uh, it's nice to pontificate on on that particular thing. I think it doesn't really matter, though, to be honest. I mean, it's sort of like that, that it's nice. They're, they're basically grandstanding, right? And I think that uh, as far as the senators. The senators, and she's trying to respond in a way that's the least uh, destructive as possible. Carl, Correct. I mean. But that's what. So, well, Carl, I mean, you've even, that's one of the, that goes to the heart of what you're saying, which is that the presentation to the audience that may, maybe not matter more, but matter as much, which is the financial community and the people who have to live and breathe all this stuff, that they need more than just what Lisa's describing as kind of this. What did you say? A grand, uh, uh, well, grandstanding. She, she's yeah. she, she's out, not so. trying to deliver yeah. uh, sound bites here. So she's not going Correct. to say, yes, bring back Glass Steagall. Right. So she instead gives a very uh, crafty answer that uh, meanders around and talks about uh, regulations on banking and uh, uh, preventing uh, the next financial crisis and whatnot. Uh, but back to the original point uh, on, uh, because, and what you're highlighting here is this focus on financial stability risks, which is one of the moti- motivating things factors for the Fed. Uh, my, my contrary point uh, is that uh, they have missed on core inflation 95% of the time uh, since the Great Recession. Uh, now you have inflation backsliding at the same time that the Fed is ramping up the pace of tightening. Uh, it's very hard. The Fed is very sensitive to its inflation uh, credibility. Uh, and I think that they risk ceding some of that credibility. If inflation is backsliding, you've 
been below target 95% of the time, and now you're accelerating the pace, uh, pace of tightening. So if you want to say there's symmetric, uh, uh, you know, a symmetric focus on that 2% inflation target, and you've missed... Excuse me, Carl. You, uh, the other student in the class, uh, Lisa Bromwitz, has a question. Sure. Real quick. I think that underlying all of her testimony was who is going to be her successor. We've gotten some names, including Gary Cohn, who I somewhat flippantly mentioned before, a former chief uh, operating officer of Goldman Sachs. Who do you think is the most likely next Fed chair? Well, I mean, the fact that we're hearing Gary Cohn's name so much, I think, means that that could be uh, he could be a prime candidate. Uh, I think uh, also New York Fed President Bill Dudley really? uh, could be a potential candidate. He would be Yellen too, right. uh, so to speak, because he does have a, a dovish policy uh, inclination. Uh, it could be someone from the current Board of Governors, but it just I, I don't see any names jumping out. Uh, at that that point, so you have to be on the board of governors to be chair. So right. that would mean President Dudley would have to be appointed into one of the uh, governor's seats. So uh, there seems to be this game of chicken with Yellen, and I don't think it's helpful be, yeah. to be the president. Exactly. exactly. Carl Ricadana, thank you so much for joining us. My uh, pleasure. Truly uh, important always to get your insights. Uh, Carl Ricadana is chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.